Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good evening and welcome to the History of Alchemy podcast. I'm Travis Dow. And I'm Pete Coleman from the Bohemian podcast. Today we got a nice little uh, legend for you, I guess. Um, if you've ever heard of Richard and Isabella Ingelis, uh, they're kind of this alchemical couple like um, Nicholas and Purnell, of, you know, but they're kind of the Californian version. So wait a minute, we're, we're talking about alchemy and related to North America tonight. Is that correct? Yeah. So it's, that's yeah. a rare occasion. And it, it kind of feels <laughs> a little bit more like a Ripley's Believe It or Not. You know, it's it's sort of a myth, legend, whatever. But um, supposedly, in the Gold Rush era of California, somewhat reminiscent of Nicholas and Prenel Flamel, there's a legend that an American couple have achieved the Philosopher's Stone and are still alive today. So from the, you know, 1840s, 1850s. Okay. So left mostly to oral lore and legend, the story of, of, of Engelis uh, first appeared in print in November of 1928's issue of Occult Review and later was mentioned in a sidebar on alchemy in the Encyclopedia Man, Myth, and Magic that was published in 1970. So you can kind of get an idea that that these guys, this couple, lived in the 19th century in North America in the California Republic, but really was kind of uh, uh, given some credence in the 20th century. Try to keep track of these dates. So I guess the, the first real date we have is that they the couple got married in 1898. Okay, so that, that should give you some range of how old they were. Um, now, Richard was a lawyer, uh, specifically specializing in corporate and mining law, and Isabella was a full-time psychic, also a teacher and healer. And they kind of moved around the country a bit, but they eventually settled in Los Angeles around 1912. In the 1928 article, the author, Barbara McKenzie, interviews Isabella regarding how she and her husband became interested in alchemy. With the approach of advancing age, Miss Miss Engelis states that she and her husband, Richard, sought to discover the Philosopher's Stone so that he might, quote, perhaps add another score of working years to man's so-called allotted span, unquote. All right, maybe a little bit of a, a socialist concept there because of, of the working man. Uh, but she, they wanted to, you know, basically uh, uh, continue the life of the average man. Despite the many blinds and false routes given by, by the alchemical work, the couple pursued their work guided by Miss Eng- Engelis' psychic gifts. Remember, she was a psychic, as you said, Travis. Right. Mm-hmm. In a pamphlet written by Richard, he describes their original goal as the creation of oil of gold, but instead chose the work of copper because of the cheaper price. After six years of work, two mortgages, several explosions, and, <laughs> and an asphyxiation later, uh, Richard states that in 1917 they were able to produce the white stone of the philosophers. Yeah, and... So McKinsey, the, the author of this story, was offered a sample of the white, the white powder, which was one form of the Philosopher's Stone, but she readily, readily accepted a sample of the red stone. 
So, it, you know, again, it's not quite clear why she accepted one and refused the other. Um, but anyways, she writes, quote, It was a little more on my tongue, saying it must lie there and not be swallowed. I immediately noticed an intense bitterness, which is said to be the gold, which, by the way, that should be red flag right there. <laughs> red flag, red flag. Gold isn't bitter. <laughs> but other metals I could not detect. In two or three seconds, it had been absorbed or dispersed so that not even a flavor remained in my mouth. So this is a philosopher's stone. This is new to me. Yeah, so I've never come across the theory of philosopher's stone being sort of like a baking soda that just kind of dissolves on your tongue. That's weird. But all right, sure. So, you know, now we've kind of heard it all. So anyways, the couple continued their search for the redstone from 1917 to 1920. And they finally felt that they had achieved success. And they also kind of shared their results with members of their renewal club. This is kind of sound a little bit more like snake oil salesman to me a little bit. Could be, because this <laughs> this club specifically was kind of made up of investors, right? Mm-hmm. So they, right. They, they had their groupies that would invest money into their alchemical research. So yeah, definitely has, you know, red flags all over the place. But at the time of their discovery, okay, Robert was 66, Isabella was 54, right? Now Richard claims that they did not respond as well as others have to the kind of curing power, powers of the stone. But they claim to have unusual virility, fertility, and um, even incurable sort of diseases being cured by the stone. Um, kind of paints a picture for you, doesn't it? I don't want any picture painted about it. <laughs> That's a lot of loose baggage. Well, you know, I, I still, still got my wrinkles, but my syphilis cleared right up. So, Travis, you're saying this might have been an early form of Viagra. No. No, Pete. That's not what I'm saying at all. Okay. Okay, seriously. Seriously, get back on track here. Now, McKinsey, again, the author of this, of this article, um, said that she was not able to personally verify any of the claims. Okay? But Richard is, again, quoted as noting that they are familiar with other alchemists who were over... 600, 400, and 200 years old. And these alchemists were supposedly kind of looking and acting as if they were about 40 years of age. So perhaps the most remarkable part of the story is kind of Richard's matter-of-fact description of, now get this, the resurrection of the wife of a prominent physician who had been dead for 30 minutes. Mm. So it can actually, we're getting all kinds of aspects of alchemy here. So it's not just, you oh, know, a little oh, bit of... Or it sounds like we're kind of off the range here or off the rails. But, a little bit, a yeah. little bit, yeah. Um, but yeah, so he described it as, I'll, I'll quote this part. Half an hour had elapsed and her body was growing cold. A dose of the dissolved white stone was placed in the placed into the mouth of the corpse without perceptible results. Fifteen minutes later, a second dose was administered, and the heart commenced to pulsate weakly. Fifteen minutes after this, a third dose was given, and soon the woman opened her eyes. In the course of a few weeks, the woman became convalescent, after which she lived seven years. As as for the methods they used, Isabella states that they followed the methods of Paracelsius, uh, particularly Waite's edition of the alchemical and hermetic writings of Paracelsius, but no further details were forthcoming. 
Several books were written about the couple, but uh, they were very uh, difficult to obtain. Of course, yeah, they are, right? I saw this too. I only yeah. found one or two sources repeated over and over. Basically, the two we mentioned at the beginning. So supposedly they were mentioned in other places um, as these stories kind of spread. But today, you know, they're really hard to come by. So, um, anyways, you know, the, the stories obviously might have survived them. But the Ingalises obviously aren't around anymore to ask, so something's up. In fact, they died in 1934, um, Isabella in May and Richard in October. Like several alchemists that we've talked about, by the time they died, they were in, Heavy they were debt. in a huge amount of yeah. debt, Yep, um, including, yeah, which eventually they even had to mortgage their property off, which included some 440 acres of land in San Diego. Holy cow. I want you to imagine that. 1934, 1930s. San Diego, probably <laughs> land wasn't all that great. You held on that land today, you're talking millions and millions oh, of dollars. You're staying classy in San yeah, Diego. Yeah, you're staying classy in San Diego. What if it was near La Jolla or something? I, the money would be just amazing at this point. So, yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, after, after their death, the property was awarded to the plaintiff, right, to kind of clear the debt. Um, now, the property was then acquired by a new thought group in 1940. That's capital N, capital T. That's the name, name of the group, New Thought. And it was kind of operated as a spiritual center. And supposedly they're still around. I'm sorry, I didn't verify this. <clears throat> yeah, so, the, okay, so this kind of ties into the urban legend that their deaths have actually been faked. And that this was all part of getting their debt erased. You know, they fake their death. They clear up their mortgage. They have a, some of their investors buy the, buy the property for a much reduced price. Everyone's debt free. And it's all good. Um, but the evidence doesn't really support that nice legend. So unlike their alchemical predecessors, the age of bureaucracies was catching up with them. Death certificates on file in Los Angeles are chock full of the details of prior to and immediately following their deaths, as well as the causes. So again, this is the 20th century. Um, it's not like, yeah, it's not that easy to fake your own death. So, um, but what was interesting for me is, is reading through some of the sources um, trying to find ones that didn't repeat themselves. There was one quote that Richard, Richard clearly stated. Uh, this is a quote. Someone has said you can destroy all other books on alchemy for their knowledge and more is contained in the alchemical writings of Paracelsus. I found, I found that interesting. So he's clearly on the Paracelsian alchemy side. Um, and Mrs. Ingalese told the occult reviews, uh, Mrs. McKenzie, like you said, that um, regarding the White's uh, hermetic alchemical writings of Paracelsus, which you brought up, she said, quote, the volumes that afforded her the most encouragement and help in her subsequent efforts. Um, I wonder if that's the same, like Ryder and White, like the tarot card people. Well, well, she she did have probably some... Because yeah, she was psychic. Yeah. And so maybe, yeah. you know, part of that circle, I don't know. White, they were, they were like 19th century, you know, part of the occult revival and all that. But... Um, anyways, it's, it is pretty interesting that they, you know, they, they did collect alchemical works and yeah, so it's just, you know, I don't know, I, you know, my money is obviously on that these guys are swindlers and, you know, kind of leading investors along to kind of, you know, further whatever the heck they were doing, but, um, basically charlatans, but, but still a pretty interesting story that you have this again in 20th centuries, you have investors backing these people, um, you know, you have, a lawyer and a psychic kind of getting together and kind of what old is you know, new again sort of situation. Yeah, we, we, we've rehashed this over and over again for centuries on the show. Haven't yeah, we? This, I mean, this is their contemporaries of, of um, what were their names? Fulcanelli and Casalier or something. That, you know, that's kind of interesting that that is 
way past our cutoff line of the 19th century occult revival. But hey, you know, fans of Paracelsus, um, yeah, it, it is a good story, definitely. So Travis, uh, you know, this this really was an interesting show in, in the sense that uh, we kind of ventured into new territory, which kind of reminds me a little bit about your new venture into to new territory with uh, your new podcast called the History of Germany podcast. Yep. Yeah. Don't don't forget that I have a new project, History of Germany. If you understand German, there's also a German version of it, but there's also an English version of it. Um, in fact, I just I just went to Wittenberg to interview someone that works in the Martin Luther House, another podcaster, a history podcaster, I should say, um, but his podcast in German. Uh, but I will be translating his interview for the English feed. So, um, yep, definitely good stuff happening there. So if you like this, give give History of Germany a listen and tell us what you think. It's a, that, that one also, I should say, it's much more crowdsourced than this one. So if you do have ideas of what you want to know about regarding German history, uh, I'll definitely take that into account and, and try to take that show into you know direction that listeners want to want to hear. But yeah, I think this was a fun one. It's right. a good story. Good times. I'll add it to my uh, <laughs> alchemical. Well, I guess this is San Francisco, San Diego, not uh, Prague. But I'll add to my repertoire of alchemist ghost stories. So yeah, thank you very much for listening. Thanks. You've been listening to the History of Alchemy podcast with Travis Dow and Pete Coleman. For more information about this episode, other episodes, and other information about alchemy, alchemists, and related subjects, visit historyofalchemy.com. Find us on iTunes, subscribe, review, and don't forget to rate us. We'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, ideas, and corrections to podcast at historyofalchemy.com or get in touch via Facebook on the History of Alchemy podcast page or Twitter at Alchemy Podcast. Tune in to our sister podcast all about the Czech Republic, Bohemican which is also available on iTunes or on Bohemican.com. Until next time on the History of Alchemy podcast, thank you for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.